Hello, friend. Welcome back to the Book Truck Chronicles, where we talk about all things books, the reading life, and the amazing people I meet on my book truck journey. I'm Brandy, a wife, a mom, and a fan of Xbox LEGO games. On today's chapter of the Book Truck Chronicles, I'll be talking to Julie Parr. This is part one of our conversation, because it was the first time that I recorded an in-person interview, and we just talked and talked and talked and talked our faces off. I had not yet mastered the mic situation, however, so please forgive me for the less than optimal sound. I promise I will get it right next time. Julie is one of my dearest friends. She is a teacher of English as a second language, a mom of three thriving adult children, and volunteers with her husband for Sleep in Heavenly Peace, a charity that builds and provides beds for children right here in Alberta who don't have one. A conversation with Julie is guaranteed to be fun, challenging, and memorable. We don't shy away from bold, honest topics, and we can seamlessly move from talking about sex ed and politics to self-awareness, racism, tolerance, and what consent really means. The bookish life is as bold as the titles you choose to read. Here is part one of my conversation with Julie. You might have to edit a lot out of this one. <laughs> that's okay. Yes. That's okay. I, I love that we're having this conversation. So, now you and I know each other pretty well, mm-hmm. but people listening do not know you. So, instead of me doing the typical, tell me a little bit about yourself, mm-hmm. if your life was a book, could you give me, like, the synopsis of your book? Hmm. I think the title might be, I Can Make It Better. And (laughs) probably it would be stories of me just trying to maybe help people or make their day better. Uh, But not just people, uh, situations and issues that come my way too. I often feel compelled to get involved and just try to make it better. Sometimes I do and sometimes I've made it worse. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's okay. Mm-hmm. And and how do you and I know each other? Uh, well, Brandy, if you'll recall, <laughs> we worked in a tiny hundred-year-old house across a very cold room from each other at the pregnancy care center. We did. And mm-hmm. and I don't know how we got any work done. We talked a lot, and I remember we talked a lot about books. We did. What we were reading. Yeah. I remember getting in trouble, just like being in school. We got in trouble for talking too much. Wouldn't they phone upstairs they or send would. us emails and go, be quiet, stop <laughs> laughing, you're interrupting counseling sessions. Yes. Yeah, we did. Shouldn't you two be doing more work? Yes, yes, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. And now you, what do you do with your time now? Uh, right now, I am an English as second language instructor. There's a lot of hoopla in my classroom, <laughs> and I like it, but I have to remember I actually receive a lot of new students who have come from some pretty traumatizing experiences mm-hmm. on their way to get here and but it's pretty cool to watch them relax and make friends in the class and I watch my students who have been there longer take care of the new ones in a way I never expected huh. it's it's a really cool experience I think they must be just so lucky to have you I mean I've I've seen you in the position where you are in authority in the classroom. And I, I think twice I went in when you were doing speaking engagements in mm-hmm. high schools mm-hmm. just to listen and watch and to watch their faces engage with you as you were talking. Mm-hmm. Even then, you were talking about topics that were 
sometimes a little heavy, sometimes a little bit risque. Mm-hmm. Um, but you always had a way of engaging the people in your classroom in a way that was human mm-hmm. and entertaining without compromising the knowledge, mm-hmm. which I think is so awesome. I did used to do that a lot uh, as a public educator. I spoke on topics of sexual health, healthy relationships, and the last three years of that part of my career, I was talking about the prevention of sexual violence. Consent was the big thing. Mm. So I had opportunity to talk to really what a lot of people call a difficult crowd of people, junior high and high school students. And I've always loved that challenge. And that's why you're, you're always seeming to do the thing at the right time that suits you so well. Mm-hmm. If you were not yeah. in a space where you were speaking or leading or encouraging mm-hmm. that kind of thing in a, in a space, mm-hmm. we would all be so much worse off. Because I think you mm-hmm. do that in a way that I admire. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I cannot speak publicly without crying. It oh. is a thing. I have great things to say. <laughs> you have amazing things to say. <laughs> well, and behind a microphone, I'm You're fine. Yeah. But you put a bunch of faces out there, yeah. and all of a sudden, I feel the impact yeah. of it. And you have said such powerful things to such tender rooms mm-hmm. in such a way that I think is is human and mm-hmm. compassionate. But it's memorable. People don't forget when you've been in the room. Yeah, I get that. There's yeah. the sex talk lady. I still get that in Superstore sometimes. Do you really? Uh, it's slowing down. I remember you. You came to my classroom. Yeah. And to be able to, to tell students, it's okay to consider that sex does not have to be the only option. Like, you do have other yeah. things you can consider. So that was um, making me crazy in the last year that I did public ed because consent, it's all about consent. We Mm -hmm. need to teach our kids Mm -hmm. consent. And so I had always been teaching consent, but I was teaching it now a little bit differently because of the big push for it. And with the Me Too movement and all that kind of stuff. So I had probably more opportunity than ever to talk about what consent was. And I was shocked to realize that our kids can't accept what consent is. So I was being challenged when I talked about harassment, when I talked about uh, sexual abuse, and that kind of shocked me. But I was shocked when I was challenged on, if someone says no, they mean no. And I started to think about why is this? Well, the message hasn't been about consent ever since we started this new uh, sex ed. It's an anytime, anywhere, with anyone, anything goes mentality. Yeah. We never talked about whether the other person wants it or not. We didn't even talk about whether you really wanted it or not. It's go for it. And pornography is feeding into that. And now all of a sudden we're saying, you need to understand not just what no sounds like, but what it looks like. And they're like, but people don't say no. (laughs) But they, they do. Yep. I was getting a lot of kickback from students who have been sexually educated in the way that this world tells us they should be. Mm -hmm. They don't understand consent. The two messages aren't compatible. But for me to be that bold and say that, I would have certainly been fired. Huh. Yeah. 
not such a tolerant space. It it isn't tolerant. No. no, it's one message or the other, and right now the two messages that need to be taught aren't compatible the way they're being taught. Mm-hmm. And not without addressing a whole bunch of other societal concerns. So I'm actually surprised I never did get fired. However, however, somebody once said, I can say whatever I want. I walk right up to the line and I dance all over it. And then I jump back <laughs> before anyone really notices what I've done. <laughs> I like it. Dancing yeah. on the line. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that more. What does your reading life look like? Okay, I've thought about this because you warned me you were going to (laughs) ask. I love reading. I always have, I thought I only had one book on the go, but that is a lie. I usually have my nose in about four or five books. Mm -hmm. Um, I have the primary book, the one I am going to finish in the next week. But then I have books on on the book stand or on the shelf waiting for me to finish them. I go between any kind of book about with a social justice kind of bent into it to, I call them fluff books. It's just a good read. Mm -hmm. Um, And I won't think too much about it. And then I just go back and forth. I read probably more books that I would consider now books that make me think about issues, not just myself, but other people in our communities face and how we as a community react to that or don't react. And I found that the last 10 years, and it probably due to my work as well, those are the stories that mostly grab me. Mm-hmm. But every summer I'm gonna pick up an old John Grisham and I'm gonna just read that thing right through in two days. Yeah. And then I'm gonna pick up a, a second one <laughs> because I find them fascinating and they're just a fun read. Mm-hmm. They are. Mm-hmm. They really are. Mm-hmm. And it, it's true, right, that when you open up a book about the experiences that somebody else is going through, you're literally saying to that to that author of that story, teach me how you are seeing the world. Teach mm-hmm. me what your life is like so that you can learn mm-hmm. about different cultures and different people and different mm-hmm. experiences that you maybe have never really gone through. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's true. Stories are such a great conduit mm-hmm. for compassion. Exactly. Yeah, I think in the older I get, the more I see those opportunities for compassion in what I've read. So I'm just going to go to a different question. Yeah. You're going to ask me. Go I ahead. I'm just going to ask. Oh, yeah. Uh, something about Off the cuff, how I shaped as a young reader. Yes. And so I remember when I was about 10, somebody gave us a book called The Family Nobody Wanted. It was about uh, a pastor and his wife. It was written by the wife. And they wanted a baby they were unable to conceive so they put in for adoption and before that baby arrived the social worker started bringing them foster kids and they ended up over the course of many years adopting 12 kids all different ethnicities and different stories Mm -hmm. different ages when they came into the family that was probably the first time in my little caucasian life i had been introduced to a family that was so diverse and introduced to the idea that not everyone in the community is okay with diversity. Just huh. the way people yes. reacted to their family. So I read that and that was the first book, uh, the first adult book I think I've ever read. I would consider that my entrance into a new genre of reading when I was 10. And that, so then because I read that book, my mom gave me a book I think that same year I was 10 or 11 called Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. Mm-hmm. And 
these are the two titles I've always remembered. I'm not good with titles, but <laughs> Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry was about a little girl growing up in slavery in the Southern States. And I was 11. I had heard of slavery because my mom watched the miniseries Roots on TV, but I had no capacity. Like I didn't understand how awful one group of people could be treating another group of mm -hmm. people. I think that kind of opened up my heart to be able to embrace more. And I did a lot of learning through novels and I still do. Um, I think there's some pretty good quality novels these days that address huge issues, but they do it in a really, well, it's a fictional, but not always easy to read, but it, it, it makes it a little bit more palatable. It's a difficult topic, but you're one step removed because it's a story, even if it's fiction. Oh, definitely, so, definitely. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that when somebody is young, like you were 11 when you mm -hmm. read that, when somebody is young, we do them a disservice if we bubble wrap their reading world yes. to only mm -hmm. be this this saccharine, sugary kind of mm -hmm. weird space that isn't like the actual human experience. Yeah. Because the stories that we remember are not the ones that are just simple and whatever. No. They're the ones that made us consider that life could be different for somebody else. Yeah. And I mm -hmm. think that if we don't risk that with kids to yeah. say... I'm going to put something maybe a little bit mm -hmm. tough in front of you and let's let's talk about it after. Mm -hmm. I think they're missing out. Like, you got to yeah. do that. And I remember finding The Hiding Place oh. when I was, was like 12. I don't know. And I remember reading it almost like it was porn. Like, I felt like huh. I had to hide in my room to read this book. And I think because what I was reading was so big. Yep. And even at 12, I thought, I don't know if I should be reading this. It's so raw and so tragic. And the read was traumatizing. Yeah. And I kind of knew because of my age, this was going to really bug me. Um, but I did, I finished it. And um, I went back to that book again and again. That's The Hiding Place by Corey, Corey Tenboom. Tenboom. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I cried and, buckets reading that book. Yeah, and to one be horrified at what a concentration camp was but be kind of horrifyingly fascinated mm -hmm. with human tenacity and some people were resilient and I think when I first read it I thought everyone who survived was resilient I don't think that anymore I have a better understanding of trauma and how it impacts the generations but I think I felt guilty because I was so fascinated by the human spirit and how it breaks and bends under that much stress. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know if I should be fascinated by something like that. Yeah, no, that's right. Because as a kid, too, when you read that stuff, yeah. you haven't been taught what to what the res appropriate response is. No. So as you're figuring it out, yeah, I think that would mm -hmm. be a pretty normal thing to wonder how do I feel about this yeah what do I do now yeah mm -hmm. but yeah good for you for reading those books yeah my sister I read a lot of sweet valley high too as I moved through my teen years yes. which gave me a very warped idea of romance by the way they good were time. not good for me but um <laughs> that was that brain candy it was and I was a pretty stressed out student 
when I was a teenager and I really think they were that mental break, that big escape that I could have. <laughs> I remember like reading about garbage. how Jessica Wakefield, she, she was going out somewhere so she threw on a pink cashmere sweater and then she brushed her hair until it shone. Shone. And I yes. was like, I don't throw on clothes like mm-hmm. and I imagine it just looked perfect. And then brushing yes. your hair until it glowed like it I I stood in front of the mirror and I tried to brush my hair until it shone. Mm-hmm. I pulled out so much of my brittle brown coarse hair. Really? It's not going to It's yeah. not going to shine. And mine straight and it still didn't shine. It just got greasy. <laughs> it did shine. But not the way they meant. Oh, Jessica Wakefield. <laughs> no. So what what is a book that you have read recently mm-hmm. that has impacted you at all? Okay. Before Christmas, I read Grapes of Wrath. We were reading it for book club, and I started it four days before, because I can read fast. I'm a skimmer. And <laughs> Grapes of Wrath really threw me for a loop. Um, first of all, it was a slow-moving story. And... Uh, but it's written in a way that you have to read it slowly. Mm-hmm. And within about 30 or 40 pages, I, I put the book down and I think there's something, this book is different. The books I read that have been written in the last two, three years, they're like TV is, they're fast. Yes. Like the pictures flash quickly and there's so many short chapters and short spurts and they're very action oriented. Like you are propelled through that book. Yeah. Which is good for a skimmer like me because I get through it fast. And Grapes of Wrath is not like that. The story moves slowly. So I was consciously telling myself, stop skimming. stop, Go back to the top of the page and do this again. Huh. And I would do it again. And I'm like, Julie, it's like teaching English. You talk slowly like this, read like that. So uh-huh. I slowed down. It took me about 150 pages to develop a new habit. Uh-huh. But what a book. Yeah. It's beautifully written. And it wasn't that in skimming I was missing details in the story. I was missing the literary genius that is John Steinbeck in oh, that book. Yes. It was beautiful. Such a tragic tale, but the beauty of it, like it was such a contradiction. And I just loved it. Um, a book took me three weeks to read. I never did go to book club. And by the way, if they're listening, no <laughs> one read that book. And I was the only one who finished it. It is literally one of my top five books I've ever read in my life. Yeah. I thought I had read it before and I hadn't. Mm-hmm. I'd seen the play. Yeah. I think that John Steinbeck was such a gift. Yeah to the literary world Mm -hmm. because I have never read anything by him that I haven't felt better for having read. You feel like you can leave and be a better citizen. Well, I hope you should feel that way after reading one of his books. Yeah. And he seems to be an author too. And you can tell the difference Mm -hmm. because they're not all this way for Mm -hmm. sure. But he is an author who has such a great appreciation for what happens when you put certain words together to create imagery. Yeah. Whereas some of them, Mm -hmm. I think they just create sentences. He deliberately creates these lyrical statements Mm -hmm. that just sit with you. Mm -hmm. They're beautiful. Yeah. Bear Town, I felt was the same. Um, 
And that one grabbed me right away because of the topic, and that's something I've been educating on for so long. But again, a way with words and just how they're put together yeah. and sentences that just make you stop and go, wow, like I should write this down somewhere so I can use it again or uh -huh. should paint it on my wall. But there were so many in that book too. Yeah, it was a rough read. It was a hard read. The but worthwhile. Book, uh, what's the second book called? Us Against You. Uh, same thing. And I thought that one was a little bit more to push through. But those were good books. And I don't know if you've read his book, Brit Marie Was Here. I love Brit Marie! Brit Marie oh. was the weirdest lady. Like, I wanted to kind of hate her, but I could not. You couldn't. She was so funny. I wanted to sit across the table oh. from her and just watch her talk yeah. to people. She oh. just had this, this quirky little thing about her mm -hmm. that endeared me to her and kind of frustrated me at the same yeah. time oh i loved her yeah it was one of the funniest books i've ever read yep. i just loved it yeah 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 frederick backman is mm -hmm. he's got a really unique voice and yeah. what i can appreciate about him as an author too is he's not a pattern writer so his no. books are not all the same yeah you don't know exactly what you're going to get when mm -hmm. you open a frederick backman it's going to mm -hmm. be great but you don't know why yeah it's just going to be awesome yeah and, and I love that an author can amaze me like that and surprise me at the same time. Mm -hmm. Because that's rare, right? It if is. you read a lot, um, there are a lot of formula books out there. And there's nothing wrong with reading them. Nope. You need one every now and then, I think. But to come across an author that, like, I bought all of his books. Mm -hmm. And I loved them all. Yep. What you is can... the one that he writes, My Mother Sends Her Apologies and Regrets? Oh. Did you read that one? Yes. That I one did. I also loved. Yeah. I I like when you first open a book and you don't know, is this going to be one of my favorites? Mm -hmm. Or is this going to be one that I go, oh, seriously, bleh, what were you yeah. thinking? The mystery of that and the potential, the optimism mm -hmm. of thinking, oh, this could be a favorite. This could be one I talk about. This. I, you yeah. never know. No. I brought some pictures of books with me because I know the titles. Um, because I actually, I'll pick up books and they pile up at my house and then I'll grab it to read. And I don't remember why it's in my house. Um, I don't know where it came from. Did my mom drop this off? Did I buy it on Amazon? I don't know. Um, but I've sort of taken to not reading the title, not mm -hmm. reading the back of the book and just opening to chapter one and starting. And I kind of think that's a challenge to the author. Like I shouldn't need hints. To get into your book. Ah. So can you grab me in the first chapter when I know nothing about what might come? And, but that's bad because I never look at the title and I literally have read many, many, many books. I don't know the author. I don't know the title. Nothing. <laughs> I just read the story. It was good or it was so-so. So you there's you don't track track your reading at all? No, or... I should. I, I read a lot of books every yeah. year. Like I saw you posted... On, I think it's on your website how many books you read last mm -hmm. year like I need to keep track but I'm yeah. lazy huh. I mean before I finish that one I got my nose in another one and I always think oh I'll write them down yeah I never do you could do Goodreads Goodreads, Goodreads. is an app that oh. is so handy 
so so handy okay. you can scroll through and find books to add to your like to be read list the ones you right. want to read and then as you're reading them you can say i'm currently reading it mm-hmm. and then you can track as you're and then when you're done oh boop, you're done that's what i need to and do. all the pictures yeah. of the books and are then there i would know how many i read yeah that's the main way that I know because I have a book journal that I keep track of but I don't do it all in my book journal right away Mm -hmm. I usually will go back from Goodreads and then I will fill in my book journal because that's just how my life rolls yeah I read a friend had loaned me years ago pillars of the earth ah which is also one of my favorites so again I read the whole book I never looked at the title or the author I just knew it was something about cathedrals and then I gave it back to her. And about a year later, I was thinking, I want to read that again. She had no idea what I was talking about. And for 10 years, I asked people, have you ever read a book about some dude in the old days? He builds cathedrals and there's some priests and there was just a lot of action. I remember there were big problems and they always got solved in an unexpected way. And I got blank stares everywhere. And I finally found that book sitting there and I read the back of the jacket. I'm like, oh, it's like heaven shone on my head. I'm like, I found it for 10 years. I've, oh, oh, I, that's a book I've read five or six times. Yeah. I'll, I'll read it again. Ken Follett. Oh gosh, that's funny. I have not read it. You what? I, I know. I, I apologize. I'm ruin it for you. Well, no, it's no, you can. It's about the, like, the 1100s, I think. Okay. And so I thought it was a fascinating take on even the way of life then. And things were vicious. Like communities were vicious to each other. Everyone's plying for the favor of the church and the government. And so it's basically about a very small community that wants a rather large cathedral for the size of their community built there. And it's the manipulating and how to get the money and how to keep the funding uh, for the building of this cathedral. And it's about a young man who comes on as an apprentice to learn how to build the cathedrals from the master builder, Tom. I remember his name. I don't remember anyone else's name. (laughs) Well, that sounds good. That's actually a much better explanation than I've heard. You need to read it. Okay, I will read it. Mm -hmm. I will read it. Mm -hmm. And what books are on your nightstand right now? On my nightstand is Bonhoeffer. <gasps> Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's a big book. I'm probably not even a third of the way through it. Um, so my goal this year at some point, giving myself a lot of room, <laughs> is to finish it. Is this the biography by yeah. Eric Metaxas? I think so. Yeah, yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. That's a tome. That's a big one. There's some cheap book my mom dropped off and said it was not that great but i could just read we both read books to kill time too so that's a time killer book i yes. don't know what it's called at all and there's this book called becoming a better man by mike cameron i met him he lives in my community uh, about five years ago his girlfriend was one of the women murdered in sherwood park by her ex-husband like uh, there was a, like a three-week yeah. period where in alberta three or four women were killed uh in domestic violence situations by their partners. So I met him only about six weeks after it happened at a walk for domestic violence. But he always impressed me as a male advocate for males. 
a lot of times people hear the word toxic masculinity or male white privilege and they just freak out. And he's taken this talk to a whole new level and encourages men to start standing against the, we, the words we use that are violent. And he's just talking to them about what it takes to be a better man. I just love that he's local and that he's taking on a topic that needs to be taken on. It's, it, okay, and as women, we often hear about, read books about women, women's stories, mm-hmm. women's stuff, you know, hail to the women. And yeah. I, as, a, as a girl, I like, I think chicks are great. Like, yeah. I think, yes, definitely celebrate your own. But I think there's often a bad rap that men get mm-hmm. about yeah. what kind of men do we want? What mm-hmm. kind of men are actually going to be celebrated? Mm-hmm. And then how do we incorporate that into our view as women? Mm-hmm. I think there's kind of a disconnect there. There's a huge disconnect. I mean, the media is dripping with it. Yeah. And until we stand up against media giants and start to demand something different and better, I think both women and men don't have an idea of what healthy masculinity looks like. Or healthy femininity, for that matter. Yep. I read a book. It's called Toxic Masculinity by Jackson Cates unbelievable now I've slapped it on the table in front of my son and go you have to read this I said not because you're horrible because you're going to be confronted with young men in the education system once he's a teacher who are displaying this and I want you to have a fuller understanding of where it comes from and how to address it I said because you're going to be in a powerful place to help shape young men definitely and uh, it it's a really startling read at how deep these threads of toxicity go uh boys or girls girls have to know how to recognize it and young men need to be given the freedom to say no to it yes right now there is no freedom to say no because a man displays these toxic signs and it's not really true and that's not what what that's not what men want. That's not what women want. But we seem like railroaded into these roles. Mm-hmm. And unless you can talk about them, you can't recognize the patterns and you can't break free. Yeah. So I really find books give me a way to put, uh, I have so many feelings and I react emotionally, but it, the books I read give me words. They give me the ability to express myself. And, and sometimes on bigger platforms to help educate and I think hopefully um, motivate people to think about things a little bit differently and to show them that it's possible. It's true, right? Because books are a really safe place Mm -hmm. for you to discover what could be possible if you did think this way or dare to do this action or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. And then we can consider a different future for ourselves and for our, you know, our youth. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I remember reading books when I was younger I read books about all these weird tragic stories depression era oh, yeah. things mm-hmm. and all sorts of of dark stories and things that made me scared and confused mm-hmm. and stayed up late and I <laughs> worried about people and situations around the world and I heard recently that somebody said I only like to read books that that reflect me that I see myself in mm-hmm. if I don't see myself in that book 
then I don't feel as if that book gets me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, hold on a second. When I was growing up, mm-hmm. I did not see myself in any of those books. Right. Like, that was just not what I was aspiring yeah. to. Now, I guess the argument could be made that if you are white, privileged, safe girl mm-hmm. in, in Canada, you probably don't have to worry about that. But if you're... Right. Uh, if you are discriminated against, if yeah. you're a minority, whatever mm-hmm. it is that you feel as if you're not well represented, you look for yourself everywhere. Yes. Yeah. But I think sometimes, as much as that is valid, we miss something when we open up to see other people mm-hmm. and not just see ourselves reflected all the time. Mm-hmm. Because we actually are reflected. Yes! And, and you're either reflected in the good characteristics that, that a character might have, or you're represented in their flaws. Yes. And that's not a comfortable place to be, but I think it's a necessary place to be. And reading has allowed me to really come into contact with my flaws. If you let it. It's true. Um, anyone who says, I can, sorry to the person who said this, but not really. Um, you only read a book that you see yourself reflected in it. Like shame yeah. on you. Yeah. How are you ever going to grow? Unless reading for you is just a mindless sort of distracting activity the way watching TV is for so many people. Yes. And uh, and it can be. And mm-hmm. sometimes I use it for that as well. But we have, there's so many books like to choose from today. And I rarely pick up a book anymore that I don't enjoy or get something out of. It's true. Yeah. It's true. And I think too, because books open our eyes and our perspectives Mm -hmm. to so many different ways of living and of viewing the world it's so healthy Mm -hmm. to consider a contrary perspective to the way we see things because it should sometimes challenge us Mm -hmm. to say why do you think that way or where does that thought come from and are you sure Mm -hmm. that's what you believe because sometimes we don't know we just take things for granted and we don't ever reconsider Mm -hmm. them but books are such a safe place to challenge those yeah. ideas. Yeah. And it's kind of a long conversation because a book is not just a, a commercial. It's not a quick 15-second ad mm-hmm. where you are either motivated or repulsed or whatever. Right. Yeah. But it is a long conversation. Mm-hmm. A book is a safe place to consider for a lengthy period of time mm-hmm. where you can go back and forth, as yeah. you should, mm-hmm. to be a really credible reader. Somebody who says, okay, I'm not just going to just take in words for words sake, Mm -hmm. but consider how can I be better because Mm -hmm. of this? Yeah. And I think that, uh, I don't know, nothing else does it to me like books do. Mm -hmm. Movies are fast. Yeah. I can have an emotional reaction or impact, whatever. Oh, and the imagery is great, but in two Mm -hmm. hours it's over. Yeah. And you might remember it the next day. Right. As life carries on within a week, you're over it. Yeah, but Whereas, a book could take you weeks to read. It could take weeks, or it sits on your table and you keep, like every time you see it, you keep thinking about it. Yep. Yeah. And you dip your toe yeah. in, and then if you go back to it later, mm-hmm. you're a different reader than you were the first yeah. time. Mm-hmm. So what you take from it will be a different mm-hmm. kind of richness than it was when you initially read it. Yeah, yeah books are yeah. a unique way of giving I, different gifts all the time. I started, and now I started it a couple summers ago, and my goal is to finish Bonhoeffer and uh, volume one of the Truth and Reconciliation set. <laughs> when the government wrote the Truth and Reconciliation, their volumes, there's seven yeah. of them. I am learning so much about 
well, cultural genocide. We live in an amazing country. We have uh, a shameful past. Oh, we do. We do. And yeah, yeah we do. Again, like I, I do have a lot of privileges, but for me to sit down and read in the way that people with privilege abused that privilege again and again at the expense of a whole people group um, mortifies me, but it also makes me more sensitive to the small things I can do every day to not be part of that and to not perpetuate that and to look at people far differently. Well, and it's true, isn't it, that the only way you can hope to not duplicate the mm-hmm. errors and the pain of the past is mm-hmm. to be aware of it yeah. and to make critical choices. Yeah, I've, I think it just fed into everything. I, I mean, I always want to be challenged that way. I'm okay with that. I'm okay to lay awake at night and think about something awful I've just read. And I know not all people are, um, but I think that makes me move through my community in a more sensitive way. When you are in a position to lead or speak or mm-hmm. motivate and encourage others, mm-hmm. as you often have the platform to do, mm-hmm. because your view of people in general is so much more holistic. Mm-hmm. It's not based on the narrow-minded thoughts that you might have had when you were younger and unschooled and unprepared yeah. to go through mm-hmm. some of those books that are difficult. Well, and, and reading books that are difficult, uh, maybe they don't change you when you've read them, but they prepare a, like a foundation for change later. Nice. Um, a lot of the books I read growing up, they didn't change me per se, but as I had to grow as a public speaker and become more aware and more careful how I said things, mm-hmm. I needed a deeper understanding of issues. And I remember being trained to be a facilitator uh, and that it was for a two-day course on sexual abuse and what it was and what are the impacts and how do we how do we talk to someone if they tell us they've been abused and it was one small paragraph and it was about the just world theory which says that when bad things happen to people if I embrace the just world theory I think well you did something to deserve that Okay, like, okay, so you stole from a convenience store and you got caught and then you were in jail and now you can't find a job because you have a record. Well, but you shouldn't have stole anything. And I never, ever would have been able to stop and go, there's more to that story. And in one paragraph, and really it was two sentences explaining the just world theory, I thought, that's me. That's how I think about this world. But I was very quickly able to dismantle that, but only because I had a foundation of compassion that had been building for years because of the books I had read. Yeah. I just was like, you're, that's you, you awful person. Boom. You're done with that. And I was just done with it. And then I, it propelled me to read other, other books and other literature and other articles to just become more educated on what that actually was, how I had been shaped that way, but how to take that apart. Good for you, because I think so many people 
read what their itching minds want to hear. Mm -hmm. And so long as it affirms them, validates their point of view, makes them feel good, Mm -hmm. there's a little bit of like vanilla, soft, squishy marshmallow Mm -hmm. that they can just kind of take and move on, but doesn't actually challenge them to reconsider Mm -hmm. an idea or a thought or a belief that they've held for so long. Yeah. And then consider, wait, wait, wait. Do I really think this? Mm-hmm. I don't like this about myself. I think I need to mm-hmm. readjust. I need to course mm-hmm. correct this one. That is so self-aware of you to actually take that from the literature. Somebody could read it and go, ooh, and they could move on. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people just move on. A lot of people won't even read it. True. Like they, touché. Touché. They get in 25 pages and they're already feeling that, that nudge. It's pushing against their worldview and they're like, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I read for pleasure. And I think reading allows me to be aware that I don't, I don't even know what I don't know. Yes. Right? Yes. So everything I read, almost everything, I'll learn something and go, well, you didn't know that. And I'm very aware that I don't know a lot of stuff. You know, it's, (laughs) I've said before, you're, you're so right. You can never be arrogant and pick up a book. Because all that book is showing mm-hmm. you is something you didn't know before. Mm-hmm. Right? You're literally opening a book and saying, teach me. Yeah. So if you're arrogant, first of all, you won't pick up that book because you think you know it all. Mm-hmm. And secondly, if you pick up that book and you're not willing to be taught, don't bother. Mm-hmm. Because that book, its goal mm-hmm. is to show you the perspective and the experience mm-hmm. and the vision of that author, mm-hmm. which is not you. Yeah. Right? No. Even if you pick up the same book two different times in your life. Mm-hmm. And you can't be arrogant. Oh, I know you, book. It's mm-hmm. fine. We, we know each yeah. other. No, no, no. Because you're different. And you should. You should pick up different things of, yes. in that book. If this has been five or ten years since you've read it. Yep. It should be a new read. Mm-hmm. Because you're a new... You should. You should be a new person. <laughs> you should be. <laughs> well, there seems to be a cultural fascination with self-improvement and mm-hmm. transitional thinking of moving from your old self to your new self yeah. and all of this stuff right but i think that's smart but if we're reading we're already doing that on a regular basis Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because you're willing to let a book confront you Mm -hmm. and you're willing to let that book teach you which means when you're done you're going to be different Mm -hmm. i mean what else does that yeah tv shows not the same Mm -hmm. movies not the same no books i love the books i do yeah i love the books Oh, I just love talking to Julie. Okay, so definitely some takeaways from the first part of our conversation are about reading books outside your comfort zone and challenging yourself to read something that maybe differs from your personal opinions on things. Because we don't want to only read books that we always agree with. That's boring. So let's stretch our reading muscles and read something else. So the next part of our conversation will be in another episode where we will talk about book clubs, books that we've loved, and the word herpes may come up in the first time ever in a book talk conversation. So stay tuned for that. Thank you so much for joining me today and for eavesdropping on my conversation with Julie. I will put all of the books we talk about in the show notes and the link to their charity, Sleep in Heavenly Peace, will also be in the show notes. So until next time, friend. Happy reading!